C.S. Lewis once said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Can you relate to C.S. Lewis this morning? As you have lived life, as you have experienced many things, and the more you experience in this world, the less attached you become to it. We're not yet home, brothers and sisters. Amen? We are pilgrims. We are foreigners. We are aliens. We are sojourners in this life. America is not our home, nor is it our country. As Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And as disciples, or as followers of Christ, we live differently. We have given up all of our rights to live for King Jesus. We are now slaves to Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. That means we aren't going to do whatever the cultural trends are of the day. Our focus is heavenward. We are awaiting the day when God will call us home. Where we will be face to face with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. That is where we are headed. But until then, we wait with earnest anticipation of that day. And today, as we are here, we're going to do something a little different. Instead of looking at the Gospel of John, instead of the expository sermon going through the Gospel of John, we are going to turn our attention to Philippians this morning. As Paul gives us some marching orders as fellow pilgrims in a foreign land, so open your Bibles to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And I've entitled this sermon, Citizens of Heaven Live Differently. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you, Father, we thank you that we've been able to come and worship you with song. Father, we ask that we have this desire to worship you in our families, in our homes, as husbands, as wives, as children. Father, I ask that you have this, we have this zeal for Christ. Not just when we're in together singing songs. But in our daily life, Father, help us to be diligent in seeking you, Father. Help us to turn away from things like worry and trust in Christ. In him we pray. Amen. Amen. So Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God who transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So scripture tells us clearly not to be anxious. The question I would ask is how do you stop anxiety? I mean anxiety is tied to our emotions. 
How do you change how you feel? How do you control your emotions? For example, if you're feeling sad today, guess what? I want you to be happy, so be happy. Or if you are sad and you have tears of sadness, I want you to turn those tears of sadness into happiness. Now, the problem is we can't change how we feel like that. It's not an instant change. We can't turn our emotions on and off. We can't do it that way like we're turning a water faucet. We can't go from sad to happy in an instant. But the problem is our verse says, do not be anxious about anything. The Greek word for anxious here can also be translated as worry. And worry has to do with how we think, where anxiety is connected to often how we feel, which is the fruit of worry. So we could say maybe a better rendering of verse 6 would be, do not worry about anything. We often are so full of anxiety because of what we have been worrying about. Our thinking affects our emotions. How we think worry causes us to have certain emotions like anxiety and stress. So let me see a show of hands. How many of us this morning are worry warts? How many of us struggle with worry? Okay, good. We have some honest people in here, right? Now, let me see another show of hands to see how many of us are liars. Okay, we actually do have some honest people. But when we look at God's word, we find out that worry and lying are both sins. But it's interesting because many people just admitted that they are worry warts, but not so many admitted to being liars. And yet both of them are sin. Reality number one says this. Citizens of heaven, no worry is a sin. Reality, number one, says this. Citizens of heaven, no worry is a sin. You may be wondering, what is wrong with worry? Why is worry a sin? Well, it's not trusting God with our future. Instead of faith, we begin to worry and fret about something that hasn't even yet occurred. Let's listen to what Jesus says about worry. Turn with me to Matthew 6, but keep your uh, finger in Philippians 4, 6. But let's turn to Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. I'll give you a minute to get there. Jesus says this. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Or about the body, what you will wear? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, and thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. 
But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus is talking to people who are worried about just getting their basic needs met here, right? I mean, these people in the first century are wondering if they are going to have enough rainfall for their crops to grow this year. Will they have enough water to drink? And Jesus tells them, stop worrying about it. Don't fret about it. The question is why? Why would Jesus tell them not to worry, to stop fretting? Well, let's look back at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? So Jesus says, stop worrying because God cares for you. Jesus says, look at how he takes care of the birds. Are you not much more valuable than they? I wonder if we know that God cares for us. Not just us corporately as, as a group of people, but as individuals. He cares for you. He cares for me. Who gave us our abilities? Who gave us our giftings? Who gave us our personalities? Who gave us our loved ones? Who gave us our spouses? Who gave us our children? Who gave us our jobs? Who gave us our abilities to work our jobs? Who gave us the church that we are a part of? Who gives us our very next breath? God, right? Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I don't think I need to say it any other way that God cares for us. He knows us. He created us. But often, when we're struggling like the people in Matthew 6, they're just trying to make it, just trying to survive, just trying to get through the struggles, we stop functioning in faith and we begin to then start worrying. Worry can be defined as focusing on future events and assuming disastrous or worst-case scenarios. It is meditating or replaying the worst possible outcomes over and over again. For example, worry assumes that if I fly, what's going to happen? I'm going to crash, right? Or if I buy this house, I'm probably going to lose my job. Worry assumes the, the worst of future events. Worry causes us to focus on situations and problems that we have no control over. Which leads to reality number two. Citizens of heaven focus on today's problems. Citizens of heaven focus on today's problems. Again, Matthew 6.34, Jesus says this, Therefore, 
Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says that worry stops us from working on our problems that we are facing today. I'm so wrapped up in the future problems, I'm not working on today's issues that I'm facing. The worrywart struggles with what we call the what-if syndrome. Let me give some examples. I want to buy a car, but if I buy one, what if it's a lemon? Or I need to preach next week, but what if I lose my voice and I can't preach? Or we're going to go fishing, but what if there's a bad storm on the water? Or we're going to fly to Hawaii, but what if I lose my luggage? Or I'm going to start exercising, but what if I lose too much weight? Okay, that's probably not going to happen, right? Before you know it, we have wasted hours speculating on the future, which has distracted us from dealing with today's problems. As Christ says, that today has enough trouble of its own for us. So let me give us three questions to help us deal with today's issues instead of worry. Question number one says this, what is the problem I face today? Question number one asks the question, what is the problem I face today? Sometimes we aren't sure what the problem is. We have this sort of vague notion of it or, or vague picture of it in our heads. So it's important that we define the problem, that we see the problem clearly. That's where we have to start. But number two, what does God want me to do about the problem? The first, second question asks, what does God want me to do about this problem that I'm facing? We diagnose the problem. We look at the problem from a biblical perspective. That means we look at God's word to figure out how to deal with this problem that we're in. And then number three, what is the first step to dealing with the problem that I face God's way? What is the first step to dealing with this problem that I face God's way. Nothing happens until we actually do something about the problem, right? Until I take that first step. God wants us to plan and think through issues biblically. But as we think about these questions, I wonder how many of us filter our problems through the lens, through the grid of Scripture. Through the lens of God's word. But let's go back to Philippians 4, 6. Paul the Apostle says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Reality number three. Citizens of heaven pray instead of worry. Citizens of heaven pray instead of worry. Paul gives in our passage, he gives us two absolutes. Don't worry about anything, but in everything pray. J. Adams says we empty our concerns to God. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, pray and let God worry about it. And obviously Martin Luther was being facetious, right? But his point is well taken, that we have to give our concerns to God and leave them with him. 
Are we, are we actually doing that, though? Are we turning, re, turning our concerns over to God? Sometimes I think we really don't grasp the importance and seriousness of prayer. So I have a few quotes here by Leonard Ravenhill that will hopefully shake us up a little bit and help us to really take prayer serious. Leonard Ravenhill says this, At the judgment seat, the most embarrassing thing the believer will face will be the smallness of his praying. He said on another occasion, No man, I don't care how colossal his intellect, no man is greater than his prayer life. And then finally he said this, Prayer is not a preparation for the battle. It is the battle. Amen? These are some tough quotes. But a lack of prayer in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, and in our churches reveals, church, that we are walking in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit and depending on God. Paul tells us here to pray for everything. He says on another occasion to pray without ceasing, right? Our prayer life reveals our dependence on God. We often aren't praying because we are depending on ourselves instead of depending on God. We worry, we fret, and then we finally turn to prayer. Or say it differently, we try to figure out everything in our own strength, and when all else fails, in desperation, we turn to God in prayer. As if prayer is a last resort. For us as Christians, it's our first resort. It should be our first reaction. Prayer shows our dependence on God while worry shows our dependence on self. Reality number four says this. Citizens of heaven depend on God by praying. Reality number four says that citizens of heaven depend on God by praying. Do we spend time with God wrestling in prayer? Do we get up a little earlier or set some, some, some time aside to spend time in prayer? Does our family pray together? Would you describe yourself as a prayer warrior or a worry wart? Well, let's go back to our text. And Paul says this again in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So Paul adds this fact, that we should be filled with thanksgiving even when we are presenting our problems to God in prayer. I mean, how thankful are we when we are full of worry? We can't be consumed with worry and simultaneously be thankful. The blessings that God has showered upon us are overshadowed by the giant problem or problems that are looming over our heads that's taking up all of our energy. Worry takes us inward. Thanksgiving takes us upward. Worry focuses on self while thankfulness focuses on God. Which leads to the reality number five. Citizens of heaven are full of thanksgiving. 
citizens of heaven are full of thanksgiving. I think it's easy to be thankful when life is running smoothly. When things are going great in the home, right? But do we continue to be thankful when we are facing difficulties? Or when we are dealing with real challenges or serious issues within our lives? James 1, 2-4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So it's not only be thankful for our trials, but consider them pure joy, James says. That's what we all do, right? The question is why? Why should we consider our trials and struggles, our sufferings, as pure joy? Well, again, James told us, right? God is shaping and transforming us into the likeness of his son through our troubles and struggles and trials. He has a purpose for them, right? For example, I may struggle with love. So God in his sovereignty brings someone in my life who is hard to love so I can learn how to love better, right? Amen for that. And I must admit... This has been a hard year for my family. Because we've been going through some, some trials and some struggles and some troubles. Many of you know that about seven months ago, my wife, who is now 36, was diagnosed with lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and hypothyroidism. And James says, consider it pure joy. Be thankful. For your trials and your struggles that you're going through. And I must tell you that we are thankful. We are thankful for God. Although at first I can tell you we really struggled as our lives were turned upside down. We went from doing whatever we wanted all the time to rigid diets, staying out of the sun and trying to be very disciplined in our life. But I must say, through it all, my wife, she is tough. She's a trooper. I like cry when I get a cold. And I'm not even honestly sure if, if many of you really even know how tough it has been. And I don't say that as an insult because you guys, the church, has been there every step serving, giving us meals, just being so gracious to us. But on a daily basis, my wife wonders if it is going to be a good day or a bad day. She, if she will be able to get out of bed? Will she be able to walk today? Will she be able to take care of the children today? Is her hands or feet swollen today? How bad is the pain going to be throughout her whole body today? Is her hair going to continue to fall out? Is the fluid getting better or worse in her lungs and her heart? Not to mention fevers, lack of energy, 
lack of strength, dizziness, rashes, and the symptoms just continue to multiply. And yet, she does her best to homeschool, to continue to keep the house in order, to raise our two, four, and six-year-old. So you're probably wondering at this point, how can you be thankful for such tragedy? How can you be thankful for such dire circumstances? Well, I can tell you what I have learned as a husband. I can start there. I realized when she was well, I was a lame husband and a lame father. And that's not exaggerating. I realized how unattentive I was, how selfish I was to her needs and to my children's needs. But through our struggles, I have learned. I've had no choice but to serve, to help, to be active and involved in the family. I don't have a choice now to be the pastor who only focuses on the church. And I say that because I think that's where I was headed before this all happened. But more than all this is that God has used my wife's struggles to draw us closer to Christ. We see more of him. We depend more on him. We are so thankful for his continued grace through the struggles. Amen? But I wonder as you think about your own life, if you can look back on the difficulties and see how God was using them to mold you in the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the troubles that we face, God is using to transform us in the likeness of God. God will use our spouse. He will use our children. He will use our lives. He will use our workplace. He will use disease. He will use sickness. He will use whatever he wants to transform us into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Amen? God is sovereign over all areas of our lives. We don't have to fret or worry as if God has left us. No, we must pray and with a thankful heart with the troubles that we face today. Consider it pure joy, James says. How well are we handling the trials and troubles of our life this morning? Do we recognize God will use them for our good and his glory? Are we looking at our troubles as opportunities to know Christ at a deeper level. Well, let's turn back to Philippians 4, 6, and we're going to move on to 4, 7 here. God's holy, inerrant, infallible word says this, and the peace of God who transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says when we turn to God in dependence on him, which is revealed in our prayer life, and we repent of sins like worry, and God says he gives us his peace. And Paul says it is his peace that transcends all understanding, or a peace that is beyond what this world can offer. It is a supernatural peace that is given to those of us who have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And which this leads to reality number six. Citizens of heaven receive peace. 
citizens of heaven receive peace. I wonder if you have this peace this morning. And this peace is not dependent on good circumstances or good feelings or good vibes or whatever people are saying, but on our relationship with Christ and Christ alone. So our peace of, with God begins with Christ. Listen to Colossians 1, 19 through 21. You don't have to turn there. But it's about Christ. And it says this. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. That's before God. We see that it was Christ who brought us peace. He reconciled us back to God, amen? The question is, how did Christ bring peace between God and man? Again, verse 19 says, through the blood of the cross, through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Some might be thinking, well, how do we actually grow in this peace? Well, think about this. How loved, how cared for, how blessed have we been by Christ's sacrifice? A Savior who is known as the Prince of Peace, right? But you might be thinking, how do we actually grow in this peace? And the short answer is what? Walk with the Prince of Peace, right? As we follow Christ, he gives us more peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. We recognize the Holy Spirit offers us all the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is one fruit, right? That means if I'm growing in peace, that means I'm also growing in the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. If I'm growing in peace, that means I'm growing in love as well. That means if I'm growing in love, I'm growing in joy as well. It's one fruit. The question is, are we growing in the fruit of the Spirit? What would our lives look like if we trusted Christ instead of worried about the problems that we are in today? Well, in conclusion, worry is a normal way of thinking and behaving in our society as a whole. But as children of God, we pray about all things. We thank God for all things, including our struggles, knowing that our trials and troubles are making us more like Christ. Amen? There's a purpose for all things that are happening in our lives. But how is our prayer life this morning? Maybe it's time for some of us to really get a plan in place and spend time with God daily. Instead of just thinking, yeah, that's a good idea, I need to get to that, right? May we as a family church be known as a church of prayer. May we be a family that is full of thanksgiving and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we are in awe of your love of the love of your Son, 
God have loved us so much that you were willing to sacrifice him. That he was willing to be obedient to you for your glory and for our good, Father. We ask that we can be passionate, diligent servants of Christ. And depend on the power of your spirit to work mightily through us. Be so thankful for your grace and your love. Help us to look at things like sin and anger and worry in many contexts as sin, Father. Help us to repent from those and trust you and be diligent to pray to you. Not only just pray to you, Father, but give you all the glory and honor. And be so thankful at the same time, even in the midst of such troubles and struggles that we are in. Help us to recognize you are using those for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.